0: Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. This week, the fourth week of Easter, Pastor David Cartwright reminds us that God does not change, but the way he interacts with us might. In this light, Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, our salvation, was just a new old thing, a new variation on the same theme. In this week's passage, the disciples witness Jesus' ascension, a new confirmation of what God has said and done before. But this uplifting scene only comes after several anxious days of waiting. Pastor Cartwright encourages us all to see this time of quarantine, or any time when God may seem distant, as a similar period of waiting before the next new old thing. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us.
1: We'll continue to read from Luke 24, beginning now at verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, in these moments, abide in our midst so that our hearts and our minds are open and attentive to you. May your Holy Spirit grant leading so that I speak words of your truth, that they would be seasoned with love and grace spoken in simplicity, so that you would accomplish in our midst your good, perfect will. For all good things that we receive and experience now, we offer only to you the praise and the glory. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I apologize for my voice. Whatever allergens are going around in in the air and not coronavirus are really wreaking havoc with my... uh, with my throat, but God will speak, Amen. I want to begin today by um, probably making a much bigger deal out of something that you think should ever be made, something that you and I, for the most part, take for granted every day, and that is the simple act of walking. When when you and I walk with probably only a few exceptions to the rule. The majority of time that we are walking it it is with one foot on the ground and one foot in the air moving from its previous location to the next. Relatively small is the amount of time that we actually have both feet on the ground. Now, I don't know that empirically. I haven't set up instruments to do a test. But I'm pretty sure I know it intuitively just by paying attention to the motion of walking. Most of the time we have with one foot on the ground, the other moving to its next place. And as I thought about that, it to some extent symbolizes the grand movement of God that he accomplishes through his people. It is in one sense grounded in... In, in, a, in an event or events that have preceded, and yet, in another sense, it is moving on. It, it is anticipating the next place or the next movement that God is going to accomplish. And I think that continues to be true for the church today, and it certainly is true, as we have read now this uh, these last verses of Luke chapter 24. Let's remember that as we've journeyed through Luke chapter 24, we are on Easter day. The way Luke writes this narrative, all of this is from from daylight to evening on on Easter. From, from the visitation, finding the empty tomb, to these last uh, words with the disciples, Luke never gives us a hint that that it moves on to the next day. It's always, and and then immediately after and immediately after. So this is all kind of rooted on Easter Day in Luke's narrative. And and Jesus comes to uh, these, these last moments with the disciples. And what you will find, what I want you to notice, is that from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter, there is a a significant shift in the attitude, the mentality, of the disciples. When chapter 24 begins, we have people who are uh, afraid. They are shocked at the news of an empty tomb, uh, news of that, that women had heard from a couple of angels that the body was not there and that Jesus was alive they are they're still processing all of the events that have happened over the last few days and so their their mentality is one of of uncertainty of of fear, of uh, of a disbelief they, they're just not in a great place. But when we get to the end of chapter twenty four, they are joyful, they are worshipful, they are full of Hope and, and, and a good feeling, they are in a completely different place. And I think that's important for us because you and I want to know how they got there, right? We want to be like they were at the end of the chapter, not at the beginning of the chapter. If we're not careful, we may come to places in life, we may come to seasons in church life, when we feel more like they did at the beginning of the chapter rather than at the end of the chapter. We want to be like they are at the end of the chapter. And I think if we just look at these last verses that we read, 44 through 53, we'll be reminded of how Jesus got them there. In this transformation of their attitude, this shift of mentality, it it is clearly rooted in understanding one very important thing, and that is that God, all the way through this, has had His hand on every event. Twice in this narrative of the 24th chapter, we have seen that Jesus opened the minds of the, of the disciples to the scriptures that they already knew. Back in verses 25 to 27, you have Jesus uh, traveling toward Emmaus with those two disciples, And it says there that he opened their minds to understand what the Scriptures had said. And and if you'll remember, that's when their hearts started burning within them as he opened the Scriptures to them. Again, in verses 44 through 46, we read that Jesus opened the Scriptures. He says, look, uh, the the words that I spoke to you were that all of the things written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the, the writings, the Psalms, all of these things had to be fulfilled, and then in first, verse forty five it says that he opened their minds to understand these scriptures i don 't know exactly what that means I, you know someone might interpret it as he just waved a hand in front of their faces, and all of a sudden their minds were open i 'm more of the thought that he took the time and gave them some examples you know look, look back to this prophet and what he wrote. Does that not line up with what you understand now? I think he pulled in detail all of these things together for them so that they could see that nothing that happened was out of God's control. Everything that happened was right according to plan. Think about the times when you and I start to be fearful. Think about the times when you and I start to let our hope wane. They are not times when we are full of confidence that all that is happening is in God's control. Most of the time, there are times when we allow ourselves to wonder if God hasn't overlooked us, if God hasn't moved on to some other more worthy candidate, if, if God somehow has failed to take notice of our circumstances. Those are the times when we start that thinking, those are the times that we start to wonder, and well, gosh, maybe, you know, maybe God has moved on. Maybe there's no hope. May, you know, maybe what I have now is what I'm that that's all God is going to do. God's done with me. I might as well just be put on the shelf. You see, that's where the disciples were. And Jesus comes along and says, no, no. You know, when they arrested me, God was still in control. When they tried me, it was all part of God's plan. When they put me on the cross and then put me in the tomb, it was all laid out. It was all according to what God was going to accomplish. When you look at it that way, you start to say, ah, it was only a temporary thing toward an eternal goal. And that helps you look at it differently. They, and they become rooted in this idea that everything that had happened was exactly what God had wanted to accomplish because it furthered what He wanted to do in this grand plan of redemption of God. So, they, they, are, they are reminded that God is still in control. They are reminded that God still has his hand on all of this. And then Jesus goes on in verse 47 and says, um, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Being reminded that God is still in control, Jesus moves on and says, now, there is a purpose to all of this. These were not random uh, events. These were things that lined up with this grand scheme that God has of bringing redemption to His creation. And Luke frames it by saying in verse 47 from from the lips of Jesus that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name to all nations. We could take that and say, that's a purpose statement, a a mission statement. This is what the church is now about. In doing so, we need need to first be cautioned, cautioned, because sometimes it's too easy to reduce the mission of God to just one verse of Scripture. Now, there are surely verses of Scripture that Uh, or, or they stand out, if you will. But let's be careful not to reduce it to just this one, because if we said, well, that's all the church's mission, that we just preach repentance for forgiveness of sins, then really there's a whole lot that we're going to overlook. And I'm not saying that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be pushed to the side, because certainly it shouldn't. That is central to the work of the church. But let's also face it, that the good news of the gospel is more than just getting people to quit doing bad things so that God can forgive them and let them into heaven when they die. God's gospel is greater than that. Um, we could take the, these verses. Sometimes we like to go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. You know, the United Methodist Church is very fond of saying that that's, that's the one we choose as a mission statement. I know there are other streams of Christianity that like to quote other verses, maybe Acts chapter 2, verse 38, or maybe some others. You know, we, we tend in our human nature to just latch onto one verse or two of Scripture and think that that captures all of what God's redeeming work is about. And I think we don't do ourselves favors. In, in doing that. Go, go back to when Jesus initiated His, mis- His, His mystery, His ministry, and He said, I've come to do all of these things. I've come to announce, if you will, the reign of God among you to let you know that, that God is not against you, that God is for you, and that God is not angry with you, but that God, God loves you. And, and yes, Uh, God wants you to stop doing those things that are not in line with His character. Uh, Jesus never endorsed sin. Uh, You never find Jesus saying, well, I know you've lived a sinful life, but don't worry about it. You know, if if anything, He he said to people, go and sin no more. But His ministry was more than that. It was, look how much God loves you. Look how much God wants to be near you. Look how much God wants you to, to not be alienated, to bring you in. And be in relationship with Him. It is this grand work of God bringing people from being far from Him to being near Him. And if we we look at the cross of Jesus, we can see that in such a powerful way. Because if you look at the cross, you will see at least two things. You will see, yes, you look at the ugliness of the cross. And you will see just how horrible... Sin really is in God's sight. But when you look at the cross, you will also see how deep God's love is for you. That he would use this horrible instrument of death and choose himself to go upon it in the form of his own son. That is how much God loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. And and this purpose that Jesus gives to his disciples is a purpose that goes beyond anything, any kind of purpose that we can find in this life. If you think back to the book of Ecclesiastes, the wisdom writer in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you will, he's, he's thinking out loud. He's thinking in words that are put on paper. And he's trying to find meaning. What is this life all about? Can I find ultimate purpose in the work of my hands? Can I find ultimate purpose in the pleasures of life? Can I find ultimate purpose in any of these things? And you know what he ends up saying? Vanity, it's all just... There's no ultimate purpose in all of this. And then Jesus comes along and says, I'll give you ultimate purpose. God's reign breaking into his creation. And you are now witnesses of it. You now get to be a part of this great work that God is doing. And and the great thing about that purpose is it never gets revised. It's not like God comes along every 100 years and says, "Well, I know what the I know what it used to be, but I I found that that's all foolishness and we're going to put that all aside and you know how you now have a different mission statement." He never does that. The mission never changes. You don't have to worry about revisions. The only thing we have to have our eyes open to are the new ways that he makes the old things happen. And that's where Jesus goes when he says in verse 49, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It's like Jesus said, we're getting ready for the new thing to happen, but not yet. But not yet. It's an old thing, but it's a new thing. It's an old thing in the sense that it's rooted and grounded in what God has already done in the work, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's grounded in that. It's not going to change. If you will, if you just take that analogy of of walking, it's that one step that meant more than any other step. Now granted, if you and I go out for a walk, whether it's around the block or two or three miles, we would not look back and say, boy, you know, there's that one step. And and if it weren't for that one step, none of the rest of it would have meant anything. We, We don't do that. But God's narrative is different than that. God looks at this one event, and even though there were so many other powerful events in God's history, God's narrative, it is that death and resurrection of Jesus Christ when He says, that is the step in which all of my work is grounded. And everything that happens from it is going to be tied back to that. And so in one sense, all of the work that I'm going to do is going to be old work. It's going to be grounded right here. But it's going to happen in ways that you won't anticipate. is going to be an old, new thing that happens. And let's just think forward a a, a few weeks to this. If we look at the Christian calendar, we're not very far off from uh, the the day that we call Pentecost. It's a day that we remember God giving birth to His church. We read in Acts chapter 2. What happened on that day? The, 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 The disciples were doing what... Luke portrays them doing here at the end of the chapter. They're gathering together, they're praying, they're being in fellowship, they're worshiping, they're waiting. They didn't know what was going to happen that day, but the Spirit of God broke in on them and, and, and these, this multitude of disciples started speaking in different dialects. That were understood by the, the host of people who had come from all different places. They were speaking forth the powerful works of God. They didn't expect it. It was a new thing. And yet it was an old thing. Because think about who spoke up Peter. When all of these people were saying, What in the world is going on? They thought the people were drunk. Are these people drunk? If you don't think the, the Bible is great, I mean, there's are, there are so much great material in the Bible. Peter speaks up and says, these, pe- these men are not drunk like you think. It's too early in the day. That's what he said. It's only 9 o'clock. They're not drunk. It's too early for them to be drunk. But then what did Peter say? He said, do you not remember what the prophet Joel said? And he laid out the prophecy to them. You see, it was a new thing and an old thing. It was rooted in what God had already done and what God had already prophesied, and yet it happened in unexpected ways. And the church was born. You see, all through history, there are those Pentecost moments even the book of Acts, you, you you can't get through all the chapters of the book of Acts with, without seeing other Pentecost moments when the Spirit shows up and something unexpected happens and more people are brought into the church or, or the apostles do these powerful things. All, for 2,000 years, church history has been marked by those things. We could look at personal examples, you know. We would look in church history to uh, 1517 when Martin, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses. That was a Holy Spirit moment. He didn't know it was going to be. But boy is the church not marked by that. In the Methodist movement, we could go back to that Aldersgate day when John Wesley had his heart warmed. Certainly it changed the course of the Methodist movement. He didn't anticipate it, but this Holy Spirit showed up. We could look in the early years of this nation to a time that we call the Great Awakening and God was working in mighty ways. All through history, the Holy Spirit has shown up and and said, here's God doing the next new thing. It's an old thing because it's still grounded in that resurrection event. But it's a new unexpected thing that the people were not anticipating. And friends, I say all of this to say to you that we will find ourselves so often in exactly the place where the disciples found themselves right here in Luke chapter 24. Jesus left them with the confidence of God's work, a clarity about their purpose, and an anticipation for something that they couldn't quite expect to happen. So all they could do is wait. They could wait joyfully. They could wait in fellowship with one another. They could worship. But they had to wait. Because they were at a point where the next step was not seen yet. It was The foot was coming forward, but it hadn't been put on the ground yet. So all they could do... Is just wait. I've talked with so many people over the course of years who feel themselves in those seasons. I, I don't I feel like I'm just I don't know what the next thing is. I feel like maybe God's not using me. And you know, it, it comes in all kinds of different fashions, but they're waiting. Congregations are the same way. We we have a a a tendency to look back as congregations and, you know, in certain places we can say, boy, God was doing a great thing through us there. And then we fast forward some years and we say, boy, you know, God was really using us there. But sometimes congregations get in those places where we think, well, maybe right now, you know, what is God doing through us right now? Maybe we're just in that point of waiting for the next Holy Spirit moment to happen. I began with an image, so let me leave you with an image. In the recent weeks, I've had a lot of uh, opportunity to sit in the front room of our home. I have a little table there with a chair. I keep my computer there and, you know, my Bible and some other work resources, and and I, I just work from there, okay? And I open up the blinds on the front windows, and I can look out the front of our home, and what, one of the things that I see is that uh, in, in our front yard, there is a, an American flag planted. Thank you, Rotary Club. And there's also one right across the street in our neighbor's yard. The, the two flags can't be separated by 100 feet. It has to be less than that. So, you know, there, there's our flag and there, there's my neighbor's flag and I look out. And one of the things over the last few weeks that I've noticed is this odd phenomenon that uh, frequently, when the wind is blowing, our flag will be blowing in the wind and our neighbor's flag is just hanging still. And when I first noticed it, I thought, well that's curious. There doesn't seem to be any reason that I can see why both flags wouldn't be similarly blowing. Is there something wrong with their flag? No, I don't think so. I'm sure there isn't. Is there anything holding their flag down? No. It's just that the wind isn't blowing over there. And as I started to watch that odd thing happen, as I so often do, I think, is there a picture in that of the church? And I think there is. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in these ways. You might remember in John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to this Pharisee named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus doesn't understand the movement of the Spirit, and Jesus likened it to the wind. He said, It's like the wind because you hear it blowing, you don't know where it came from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit it blows where it blows. And I think it's so often that way with people, with congregations. Sometimes the Spirit is blowing there. Sometimes it's blowing here. If it's not blowing here, it's not necessarily there's something wrong. Now, there may be problems, but that's a different sermon. It may just be that the Spirit has you in waiting. And I have to say that it's like God brought it full circle for me just a few days ago when I looked out the window and the flag in our yard was hanging perfectly still and my neighbor's flag was standing proudly in the wind with all of its beautiful colors shining forth their glory. And friends, it's like that with the church also. When the Spirit blows... We'll, we'll be in those seasons, it's like, you know, all heaven has broken loose and we're just hanging on for, you know, for, for everything that God is doing. And yet there are those seasons where, it, it, you know, we're just kind of wondering if the Spirit has moved on. And that's the way the seasons go. But we ought to remember this, that in the midst of waiting, look at the disciples as they are described at the end of this chapter. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. If we're waiting for the next movement of the Holy Spirit, let's just keep praising, keep worshiping, keep being in fellowship because I can promise you, if we're being prepared then God will bring the next old new thing to pass. And when he does, the glory of God is going to shine brightly through the people called Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the resurrection. We thank you that in the resurrection, we find our identity and our purpose It is why we are called Easter people. And just as we are Easter people, we are Holy Spirit people as well. And so we thank you that your spirit moves according to your will. God, help us. Thankfully, it doesn't move according to our own purpose and our own direction. Lord, we would get it wrong so often. And so thank you for being the one who is in control. God, even in in seasons when we might feel like we're doing nothing more than waiting, Remind us that your purpose still is accomplished through us. And just fill us with that joy of an- anticipation, God, so that when you choose to move mightily among us, we might be ready to, to move, to go into action, to be the hands, the feet, the voices of good news that this community may come to see the glory and the beauty that is in Jesus Christ. For it is His, in his name that we pray. Amen.
0: We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.